With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, welcome back. You know who this is and what this is. It's Surf Splendor. I'm your host, David Scales. And guess what? I'm here on an in-between week. You've probably become accustomed to our Surf News episodes every two weeks that I co-host with Scott Bass. Um, That's not exactly how this show started out. It started out doing that every two weeks, but then the alternating weeks were long-form Interviews, profile pieces with surfboard shapers, photographers, filmmakers, publishers, authors, uh, professional surfers, basically all sorts of different uh, industry leaders, movers and shakers in the surf world. And uh, that's a passion project of mine. I like the long-form interview. I like the podcast platform. I think it's perfect for long-form interview. And um, But I've fallen away from doing it just because life has gotten busy. But I'm bringing it back. So, thrilled to be back. And also, thrilled to have this particular guest, Matt Parker, who uh, has a company, a surfboard company. He's a surfboard shaper. He has a brand called Album Surfboards. You probably follow him on Instagram. Uh, really, really incredible work. And comes from an unlikely background for a shaper, really. Um, but... It's a great story for you, listener, you, the listener, who might be interested in surfboard shaping. He just started from scratch with no family background or lineage or without even living near the beach, actually. So um, we get into that a little bit in this episode, and we get into technical details that you might have interest in, even if you're not interested in being a shaper, but just as a surfer who wants to understand the craft under your foot. We talk about construction material. We talk about design detail. We talk about uh, asymmetry, which is something that he's explored. Finless surfing, which is something that he's currently exploring. And uh, Matt is a smart dude and articulate, so that goes a long way in this podcast platform. Hope that you enjoy it. You can follow us on social media at Surf Splendor. A couple of Instagrams that have just kind of caught fire this past week and we've gained a lot of followers because of that so a lot of people tagging other people in those posts which is how that thing grows obviously and that's been really cool to see so i appreciate that um but it's still a lot significantly fewer followers there than we have listeners and downloads of each episode so we could still see growth there but 
I don't give a crap about that. Really, I just want listeners for the podcast really more than anything. So that having more listeners will um, allow us to attract bigger guests. People that want to promote their product will want to come on here. Um, and then eventually we could attract advertisers as well, which if we could actually see revenue from this, then we can make it, you know, certainly make episodes every week. And it'd be amazing to do it more than once a week, in fact, if it ever got to that point. Those are long-term goals. Really, I mean, all you got to do is share the show with friends. That helps us grow. We're, shoot, three years into this thing, at least three years, probably almost four years into it now. So, um, yeah, crazy. Anyway, enjoy this episode. Leave feedback on our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com. There's a comment section. You could chime in there. We'll send your message to Matt if you leave a comment on his show. And, uh, yeah, I think that's it. That's all I got to say. Without further ado... Matt Parker, Album Surfboards. I'll be back at the end to sign us off. Matt Parker, Album Surf. Album Surfboards, manufacturing company. What's the appropriate full title here? Album surfboards, yeah. All right, cool. By itself, that's good. That cool. Works. Welcome to the show. Oh, good to be here. Yeah. Um, so, I think customers have a little bit of a awareness of you. Obviously, we did like a ten minute intro mm-hmm. when you lent me that surfboard. This is meant to be the more thorough breakdown of who you are, why you are, what we're doing. All right. Um, so you've listened to the show before. You get it. I love the show. Thanks, man. That's what I really wanted to hear. I was prepping myself for a compliment. I, I listened to it while I'm shaving, actually. Do you? Yeah. Sweet, man. Mm-hmm. Thanks. It's rad. It's grown to the point where um, I've started to get feedback from people outside the surf industry. Like a friend of mine who's in L.A. who doesn't surf at all, she actually said that um, she was at a house party and she saw William Finnegan's Barbarian Days mm-hmm. on somebody's counter. And she knew that I recorded an episode with him. And she's like, oh, I've heard of that book before. Where'd you get that? And he's like, oh, I heard about it on a podcast I listened to. She's like, what podcast? And he said, and she's like, no way. I know that guy. So I've started to get, like, it's grown enough to where I've started to get feedback outside of our tiny little circle, you know? That's that's awesome. I know, man. It feels very gratifying. Um, At any rate, so it's funny, you know, you and I have crossed paths over the last couple of years a few times. I feel like you and I come from a very similar background, and we're actually from a similar part in Orange County. Mm-hmm. Most people that I interview, especially surfboard shapers, I have so little in common with, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And like, and I don't shape boards, so I don't even have that in common with them, but it's like they come from some, either a storied background, or Hawaii, or uh, their dad worked with tools, and so they have mm-hmm. like some sort of building background, which I always feel like I'm an outsider kind of trying to glean a little something from the outside where it's like you and I, I feel like, dude, we came from the same cloth. You just happened to get into board building and I didn't. Yeah, um, it's true. Yeah. So well, I'm, g- well, g- I'm way older than you though. I don't think you're way <laughs> older. <laughs> so give, let's give listeners a little bit of what that background looks like. Where'd you grow up? How'd you get involved in surfing mm-hmm. before board building even? Yeah. So I grew up a little inland. So I grew up in orange city of orange, which yep. is like 30 minutes from the beach. But I always grew up obsessed with skating and surfing and all I wanted as a kid was a surfboard. You know, that was like the dream someday. But I'd get dropped. My mom would take us to Newport and drop us off, and we'd spend the day at the beach. Right. But I always wanted to be able to surf. And so I didn't really, since I didn't really grow up right at the beach, I didn't really get 
a first surfboard maybe till I was like 13, mm. you know, junior high or something like that. Yeah, same age for me. Yeah, and so yeah, when as soon as I got that surfboard, I was the, the obsession reached new heights. And yeah. I, was, I was always really fascinated with just how it, the, the, there was always this mystery. Since since I didn't grow up right around it, there was a mystery to me about how do they glass a surfboard and how are these fins attached to it? And, you so know, how did they come up with the shapes and all that kind of your stuff? Your fascination was to do with the board construction itself. That that was to- I mean, I, obviously, I loved. You know, I would gobble up any surfer magazine or any movie or anything like that. But the act, but the actual craft, the board, the the, the actual product itself was so interesting to me. Mm. So it's funny. So what I was talking about, feeling like an outsider, looking in when I'm interviewing people, that's the same experience I had being slightly inland, being 13 by the time I got into it. I felt like I went to the beach and all these kids live in walking distance and that's why they're surfing so good and I've always kind of felt like an outsider totally. as well and um, but I wasn't as fascinated with the construction of surfboards mm-hmm. like you were but carry on with your story yeah so I had that same same kind of perspective where I was fascinated with it and I was obsessed with it but I was always a little bit kind of peering in from you know not yeah. right up right up close to it since I wasn't right there so and yeah so I grew up surfing and yeah you know, had other interests too, you know. I used to did a lot of different things. I skated a lot. I was into snowboarding a lot. I used to work. I worked for Burton Snowboards when I went to school for a little while. Was, oh. Lived away from the in the mountains for a little bit. And, what mountains? Uh, Utah. Really? Yeah. I didn't I know Salt that. Lake for a little bit. And wow. Did like demo tours with Burton Snowboards and did all sorts of different stuff like that. Hmm. Always came back to surfing because I was always like the the passion and the thing that I was into the most. But it was good to kind of I went because I was an, I went to I art was my background and so I went to school for art and went to school for design and so when I went to school in different places I went and experienced different things and got it that's something I'd like to actually tease apart a little bit is I'm always curious what it is about surfing specifically that is unique and um, I'll ask that question sometimes like why surfing and people go oh well it's because you're in nature and it's a individualistic sport and there's no team but i would argue so is snowboarding snowboarding yeah. has those similarities but for some reason you're more passionate about surfing I'm, maybe you're not but i don't mean to speak for you but like people are you know they come back to surfing mm-hmm. and it has a certain spiritual component that i don't think snowboarding or skating has do you yeah. want to speak about that or does yeah, it or no, were those I, things all equal I, for you i think surfing has like this uh kind of fleeting addiction like where the the moments you have in surfing you can't pre-plan necessarily and okay you, you can't just say i'm getting off the lift and i'm riding down the hill or i'm going to go skate this ramp mm-hmm. whenever i want so that that surfing thing is a little bit more elusive and so i think it keeps you kind of it's like you always get a little bit of a taste of it every time you go even when yeah. you go on a surf trip it's like i don't know if I mean, we get surfed out when there's a good swell, there's, yeah. but there's always a little bit of that taste that you always want a little bit more of that. And that feeling is so unique and so varied. You know, there's so many different experiences within surfing, whether uh, you're, there is a swell and you're charging really good waves and you're, there's the fear element and oh, there's yeah. the different sensations of surfing heavier surf versus like going out on a longboard on a one foot day and just relaxing and cruising. So there's all these varied options and sensations that come along with that, I think, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I do think 
the element of unpredictability and not being able to plan. You could go on a surf trip and you get skunked. Yeah. You, know? you can't like – it's out of your control. You know, yeah. There's so many things out of your control. Yeah, that makes the reward of it a lot more meaningful. I more think, satisfying too. when yeah. you do when you do score or when things do align and come together. It's a little bit more magical, I think. Yeah. So. You know, there's another element, I think, as I'm just unpacking it in my mind. Um, I think like living in the moment is something that I've tried to embrace as I've gotten older, you know, and I find that my most gratifying experiences in life are when I'm able to fully live in the moment. If you're reflecting on the past, you have um, regret. And if you're looking at the future, you have anxiety sort of a thing. So you want to kind of just always be in the moment. And surfing, I think, really requires you to do that because using that riding up the chairlift example you're looking at the slope as you're passing it going, Oh, I'm going to hit that Mm -hmm. bank or whatever. And, um, and then you go out there and you apply it. Whereas surfing, there's no, no way really to plan for it. Mm -hmm. And even when you stand up on the wave, if you're thinking about things that you've done in the past and how you're going to apply it to this wave, you generally, those aren't your best performances. Your best performances are you get up and forget everything that you learned and let muscle memory take over. Totally. And, And, you know? I I think there's a there's a real beauty in surfing too, in that you can be having you can have five terrible waves in a row where you blew it, and it, you're just frustrated. Yeah. Or somebody back paddles you or whatever, and you can't you just can't get a wave. But it's like instantaneously it can change, mm. and you can turn the page so quickly and be next wave everything aligns and it's like it goes just great or half the crowd leaves. Yeah. The sun comes out. Or the tide gets just right. And so there's like, there's always, that's why surfers, I think, inherently are optimistic, you know, like, oh, as soon as the tide gets good, it's going to get good. Or right. Wind shifts, going to get good. But I think that there's a lot of truth to that because I can pick, I can, at least I can relate that to life. Um, my boys, I have five kids. Do you really? I've, I didn't know I've, that. I have yeah, full crew kids, but my, two of my boys love to surf with me all the time. My 10 year old, my 13 year old. And they'll be out there and they'll get frustrated with the wave. And it's a, it's a good life lesson for them to learn that it's like, you know, new session starts right right now. Mm-hmm. You know, as soon as you as soon as you decide it to be, it does. And you can next wave can be make your session. So. Surfing provides so many metaphors for life <laughs> if you're tuned into <laughs> it. You know, it's so so good. Um, all right. I'm going to get back on track. I have a bunch of philosophical thoughts that I could sure. meander with, but I'll get back on track. So you were into snowboarding and you were into skating, but you said you came back to surfing. Is it because it was more meaningful for you than snowboarding or is it yeah, just... Yeah, I, I always loved it the best. Okay, got it. I always loved it the best, but it was also, it's also, you know, um, it's difficult, you know, to, yeah. get, to get good. It takes a lot of time. So like snowboarding is a sport that you can get good in a season. Mm. You know, you can learn how to do it and... A week later, you know how to go ride powder or go down the hill. Right. You know, but surfing is always, you, there's like this eternal progression of always trying to get better and improving and stuff like that. So that's, that's kind of fuels coming back to it a little bit yeah. as well. Yeah. You know? So when you moved back uh, to California, when did you get involved in board building? So I started shaping like 2000, 2001, you know, something like that. So I was in my... I was probably 24, oh, okay. 25 when I first went and picked up a blank. And What was the impetus? Um, 
And did you learn under somebody or how did, how did Not the first, I think I did, I think I shaped like 25 boards without even a planer. I think I just oh used my God. A, sure, a sure form and a saw and like I would get these close tolerance Clark blanks and just skin them with, with the sure form. I would draw the outlines and just kind of like grind it out. You know, I, Why? <laughs> you know, Did I, you not know that planers were available? Or no, like it was like uh, I. I think the first board I did, I was like, okay, what's I was. I was like, what are the bare minimum tools I need to get going? You know, yeah. Like I want. I was maybe it was not enough patience. I I, I wanted to shape it that day, and I don't want to have to like figure out power tools and all that stuff. So I was like, all right, what's the what are the I need some sanding screen. I need a sanding block. I need like a little block plane to cut the stringer and a short Hilarious. form, and that's. I'll, I'll figure out racks to shape in. I'll figure out all that kind of stuff so, as long as I can hack it out. Just in the backyard or in the garage? Yeah, or? in the backyard. Okay. And, and so it remarkably, you know, miraculously, I guess, it turned out like, okay. Mm. And went and took it and got it glassed. And I didn't glass it myself or anything like that, but it went and got it glassed and surfed it. And it was, that was like, all right, I can see 28 things I need to fix about this board. Okay. It works. But I've totally seen how I can improve it, and the next one's going to be so much better. So I, was, I took that first one and put it on consignment in a shop, and some sucker bought it. <laughs> what was it? Was it a shortboard? It was a shortboard. It was like a it was like a hybridy kind okay. of shortboard. Okay, like a flat deck kind of wider shortboard. Yeah, you know, and yeah, put it on consignment. Somebody bought it and took the money and bought another blank. And okay, you know proceeded to hack out you know a bunch of boards like that just in like in my garage or in a backyard just by myself you know just kind of i would peer in like at the glass shop and i asked a lot of questions but it was mostly just trial and error just figuring it out for somebody listening i mean we live in southern california where we have access to glass shops and blanks even and things like that but um what glass shop was it and how do you even know which tools to buy and where did you get the tools? Like, did yeah, you watch- so uh, Brad at Foamy Z. Okay. That's where I bought my first blank and okay. got my first tools and asked him a bunch of questions. And and then Steve Adler, who was next door to him, had surfboard factory. Yep. He had a little glassing factory there in Westminster. Okay. And, and they was, were just open for anybody who wanted to yeah, drop I living, off? I was living in Irvine at the time and it was like, all right, you know, this is... I was going to. I was still going to school too. I okay. was taking classes at Chapman for design, okay. getting my design degree, and so it kind of fit in what I was doing. And mm-hmm. just poked around and figured it out that way. Whose boards were you writing at the time? Uh, I think I had like a couple Aletics from Sean Jensen. Okay, just probably off the rack used boards from the shops up in Newport and stuff like that. Yeah. So. Okay. And um, talk a little bit about your design background, because I think that factors in pretty significantly with album surf. Yeah. Um, what were you studying, and what were your aspirations? Yeah, so I went to school for design. It took me a while to figure out that I was like, oh, there's a career you can make in doing that. I was always visually minded. You know, When I was a kid, I would, I would trace and sketch out surf logos in my notebook or whatever mm-hmm. when the next to my little pictures of surf drawings you know yeah. so I was always into that into that aspect of it so I went to school for design and so design when you go to school for that you learn all the other visual elements and 3D elements you take sculpture classes and you learn painting I used to paint all the time and so I was I was into visual mediums 
So I think that translated into being able to see a blank and being able to visualize at the end what I wanted this board to look like and mm. what curves look right and which ones look wonky and how water's going to flow through this three-dimensional object. Kind of just like pick it up and I could, it seemed to make sense. The math made sense in my head intuitively, I think. So, so as you, um, went to school for that and started to realize that it was a career, a viable career. Mm -hmm. You were also shaping boards simultaneously. Um, which career did you decide to pursue? And yeah, so I was freelance when I was going to school, I was freelancing as a designer. So I would do logo projects or little branding or advertising campaigns or little, and I, my good friend, uh, Nathan Harrison, I grew up together and he was freelancing as a web designer. Okay. And so it just made sense to pool our clients together. And so we started an agency, and that, that agency is called Album Agency. And so... Um, Where does the name come from? The, we always liked the idea that an album has multiple meanings. You know, how you can hear a song in, as an adult that you heard when you were a kid on a road trip, and it instantly takes you back. And so it kind of evokes these emotional responses, the sounds that you hear. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of dual duality to that. And then also, you know, like a visual album, you know, you look at pictures and photographs and it can kind of put you in that same emotional state. And, uh, it just seemed to, it's a fun way to brand ourselves too. We could kind of draw music influence on just our, the stuff that we put out and what it looked like. And okay. So the the agency itself is a design and it's a design and, brand, and branding, branding agency. Yep, got it. Not really in the surf world related, but we it's upstairs from our surfboard showroom. Okay, and that's been in business for I guess sixteen years, fifteen years, something like that. Longer than the surfboard brand. About the same time. So okay. I started. I started shaping boards. I was freelancing as as a designer. We launched the the agency or the company, and we were. We've been doing design ever since. And then the surfboards was always like this side project that really steadily grew. But it grew without the pressure of like, you know, I mean, it, a couple years in, it's like I, I didn't know enough to, I'm going to be a surfboard shaper and have a surfboard business. It's like, right. man, I was still, you know, still figuring it out. And so uh, what it was what was cool is we had the agency that I was going to work at every day and doing that and make boards on the side and learn a lot of things and I'd be you know as the months go on you make more and more boards and you figure more things out and mm -hmm. try different things and the boards get better and then you know as uh, I would say in the last seven or eight years the surfboard label has taken like a more of a f uh, in the forefront it's my the main thing that I do in the last couple of years it's all I do because it's growing and we're, you know, yeah. sending boards all over the world and, you know, it requires a lot of time. Yeah. It's taken off. So it's interesting. You know, I always am concerned when people take, um, a passion or an art, art kind of passion project and then try to make a living off of it. Mm -hmm. And, um, the way that you grew yours was so much more organic. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the danger being like, if you love photography and you're going to be a professional photographer, the moment that your income is reliant on that, it changes the art. Totally. It just changes the way that you view it. It changes, you compromise uh, and take work that you probably wouldn't have taken just because you've got to pay your rent, you know? Mm -hmm. And so what a fortunate situation that you were in to be able to explore something creatively without 
needing to cover expenses. Yeah, it could, it could happen uh, organically is a very cliche word, but it, it really could happen organically where it grew and we didn't really have rules about Yeah, we have to make a certain amount of boards and we got to you know, be hitting these sales numbers to survive. There wasn't anything about that. It was just purely for the, well, let's try and see what this shape does and yeah. let's explore this design and let's see what this fin setup feels like mm-hmm. without really the re- the real world repercussions mm-hmm. until, you know, we've kind of figured it out enough to know, okay, we feel good about what we're putting out there and let's, right. let's, let's, let's make a run at it a little bit more. Well, another interesting detail I think is you learned how to run a business with the agency, mm-hmm. which a lot of people who get into surfing don't ever learn how to run a business, you sure. know? And at, and that's why I think surfing as a whole, on the garment side, on uh, the surfboard side, it's been a very slow-growing industry mm-hmm. because people... It's run by a lot of people who didn't necessarily weren't educated. Totally. You know, and don't have best accounting practices and that sort of stuff. That was a frustration initially why I wanted to try and make my own board was, you know, you kind of get sick of getting the runaround. You know, you you order a board and you have that impatience. You want to go surf it right then because that design and that size board is suiting the waves you're thinking about right then. And then it's six months later and your board shows up and you're kind of... Oh yeah, right. <laughs> the thrill is gone a little bit. Yeah, so I, I wanted that, uh, you know, quicker response to it. I guess it's funny that you can build a board quicker for yourself than you could through yeah. a professional manufacturer. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. um, it's a sad state of affairs. Yeah. Um, so, what kind of boards were you interested in building, and what have you? What? How have you established yourself as a brand? Um, do you have a certain style? That mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah, I'm always, uh, I think you should always be, as far as it relates to surfboards, you should always be open-minded to try, because the whole point is to have fun. Yeah. Right? Like, we're not we're not doing this to, to score any points. Right. We're not on tour or anything like that. So the whole point is to have fun. So you should always be open-minded to try something that maybe, you know, who knows, could be something really fun, give you a new experience that you didn't think about. So I'll try anything and ride anything. And so... Our our line of models is pretty diverse. You know, we have everything from classic longboards to uh, finless shapes to performance shortboards to Simmons influenced little stubbies to classic fish designs, hybrids of all those in between. Mm. You know, so a lot of different stuff. And so we've always uh, done a lot of custom boards. But um, that's kind of what we're known for. It's a lot of our boards are very individual looking and unique and different colorways and and so uh, I would say I ride I try to ride the best board for the day you know depending yeah. on the conditions and so if that's a little uh, performance shortboard one day I took my kids out uh, yesterday and it was one foot yeah. glassy little uppers and I took out a finless to learn how to ride a little finless on a day like that because you know, why not? So How'd it go? It was really fun. I had those cheater bonzer side runners That's on That's what it. I need. I, it was training wheels, you know? Yeah. Fitness with training wheels, but it was in, 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 insanely fun. What? How big is the board? How wide is it? How it's thick? 6.0. It's that one right there, actually. Oh. It's that weird. The, okay. Yeah. It's a 6.0 by 19 and 3 quarters. Kind of a Simmons inf- like style planing hull shape. Really straight outline. With Explain really, that tail. Yeah, with a really deep, um, 
don't even. It's not really a swallowtail. I don't even know what I, what, the, what I would call that. I don't know how to explain that. But it's either. like a ten inch deep. It's almost like a Mackie influenced uh, fishtail, where the 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 extended swallow wings, I guess, are foiled really thin. So there's the idea of maybe there's going to be some little flex okay. characteristics in those, you know, to help kind of project and steer a little bit, you know. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. To explain it visually for the listeners, the board is, um, the nose is on the ground and the tail sticking up. And looking at the tail this way, it almost looks like, a fox's head with ears going straight yes. up, you know? Or like a tuning fork or something yeah, like that. Yeah, tuning right? fork's even better, actually. <laughs> like giant, giant uh, tail, basically. Two, yeah, it, was, two. it was really fun. I'm going to take a photo of that. I'll post it. Yeah. Um, well, so I've ridden some finless boards for a little while now, and uh, it can be so frustrating. Yeah. And it can be... It, it makes a one-foot day at uppers a lot more fun because... You pretty much wouldn't be having that I much fun be out there. Otherwise. You wouldn't even paddle out. Yeah. So, but my problem is I need those side bite fins mm-hmm. because it just gets too slippery, and you got to stay so low and crouched mm-hmm. that I'm just uncomfortable staying in that position. Yeah, the guys that are really good can just have a feel for it. I it requires more more concentration for me to ride a pure finless board. And on those little small tiny days, I don't really want to give like full concentration to that. So the little cheater little bonds or side side runners on it lets yeah. you kind of just you can blank out a little bit and still not lose your line. Good. So, yeah, I got to get on those. Do you make them yourself or? Uh, yeah, they're no, they're just like bond like long bonds or side runners. Okay. You know? Yeah. You go on there. Okay. Cool. I got to get those. Um, so we talked 
with the board that you let me borrow is asymmetrical. We mm-hmm. talked a little bit about asymmetry, mm-hmm. and that's something that Album Surf has kind of embraced. Mm-hmm. I'd like to have a conversation about asymmetry. Yeah. Even though we covered it in the last conversation, like we should probably start from scratch. Sure. Um, it makes a lot of sense. I'll lay some of the groundwork and ask you to chime in. Asymmetry makes a lot of sense philosophically from a design standpoint to me as a surfer. And I've ridden a number of asymmetrical boards. I still find myself in a position where I can't fully advocate for it. Mm -hmm. And that's not because the boards that I've ridden don't work. It's because I can't say that they work better than a symmetrical board. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I find myself... I want to believe because I believe in the philosophy and, and the boards have worked, but I, I still am such a pragmatist that I need data. Mm-hmm. I need data points. And it's too difficult to collect data points because the waves are always changing and I can't make two boards that are exactly the same, but one with asymmetrical yeah. characteristics. So I'll lay the groundwork for the listener in terms of why it makes sense philosophically. And that is um, nothing that you do in surfing is symmetrical. Your body, your foot, the wave, the way that water traverses a board, none of that happens symmetrically. So there's no reason why the craft that you're riding should be symmetrical. So, I mean, Donnie Donnie Brink, who also does asymmetrical boards, was the one who kind of enlightened me to this, which is that, look, your foot has a heel and a toe, and they're entirely different. And your heel has the ability to push which your toe does as well, but your toe has the ability to leverage, which your heel doesn't. You're more weight on your heels. So the le- your toe side rail should have certain characteristics that allow leverage to take place, and your heel side rail should have more foam, for one thing, to handle the extra weight that's being pushed and doesn't need the sensitivity that your toe side can have because of the leverage thing. And, and it also translates to outlines, but... So all of that makes perfect sense. Let's design a board for the anatomy of your foot. And also, like I said, the wave isn't symmetrical, and the way that the water traverses across the board isn't symmetrical, so let's factor all those things in. So there. There's the groundwork for the philosophy. There's a lot of also problems with that philosophy in that, well, now you're making room for a million different variables, and within each of those variables, there's a bunch of variables. Like, yeah, the wave traverses asymmetrically but in which direction at which time it's always changing Mm -hmm. and then what if it's choppy and what if it's not so Mm -hmm. um based on what i just said what gaps can you fill in why is it a design uh focus for you Mm -hmm. yeah i am not a hydrodynamicist you know fair enough okay i'm not a scientist (laughs) i'm more uh uh of a i can understand it by feeling it when i go out and ride it Okay. And knowing how it works based on my own experiences. And so I, I, I'm also, as a designer, I, I tend to think simpler solutions are generally better. Occam's razor. You know, so I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm hesitant to over-engineer a situation. I tend to think the simplest solution is the best way to go, you okay. know? And so uh, sometimes if you try to engineer, over-engineer something, you you can go down a rabbit hole of trying to solve other problems or creating whole new variables that you weren't weren't thinking about. So with all the asymmetrical boards I've done, I basically, you know, you see Ryan Birch out there shredding on one and just looking like so reactive and responsive and quick or, you, you know, and so that inspires me. So I'm like, all right, so 
so let me take the boards that I'm familiar with and I know that work and let's apply some of that theory to and keep it somewhat simple. And so I love twin fins, you know, and so I love the speed of a twin. So I want to apply that feeling of a twin fin under my toes because I feel like it generates a ton of speed that's really drag free. Um, but maybe, you know, we can apply like uh, quad thinking on my heels where um, a tighter rail line and the outline and fins positioned under my heel of my foot are going to give me a little bit better response and especially backside it's going to give me uh, a tighter arc that I can draw at full speed um, give me different angles I can take on turns I think about um, fin placement on an asymmetrical is um, it feels like a joystick on your back foot for me so mm. That twin fin is placed right under my toes, and by where the the heel side rail line cuts away and where the fins are placed under my heels, that quad cluster is right under my the, the pivot point of my heel. And so different than a normal board where sometimes you're up in the front of your fin boxes to generate speed and you slide your, fin, your foot back over the center fin to really be in the sweet spot for the turn that you want to make. Right. With an asymmetrical for me, it's... Uh, it's like a toe heel response where those fins are connected to as extensions of my feet mm. all the time. And so that toe is my accelerator with that big fangy twin fin that I can really uh, pivot around and drive and project and get speed down the line. And then as I, as I roll to my heel side rail, maybe for a front side carve, I get the grip and the drive and the tighter arc I can draw with that quad cluster. Okay. And so... That's at least that's how I feel it, and that's how I experience it, and that's how I've been able to translate it. Um, and you know, I have some. There's some guys that ride for me that their whole quivers are asymmetrical now, from their five-two fish up to an eight-seven gun. Wow! You know? So all their boards are set up that way because it feels more intuitive. You know, I think sometimes people see them and they, it looks weird. And so you think, oh, that's going to take me a while to figure out. But for me, they feel really intuitive because you just you you pop up and your foot is right over the fins, and it's like, oh, I can control this and make this go, and it reacts to what I do really instantly. That's entirely true about the board that I borrowed from you. It definitely had like a very sensitive feel to it. Mm-hmm. Every little adjustment of weight that I applied was instantly mm-hmm. uh, translated mm-hmm. through the board itself. So I think that um, how you started that conversation, I want to come back to it because it's important. The fastest over-engineering is a problem. Mm -hmm. And so the the best solution is the shortest Mm -hmm. solution. And you're saying that asymmetry, are you saying that asymmetry is actually not a more confusing solution? It's not a more layered solution variables that you're adding it's actually the more logical shorter conclusion yeah it can be yeah i mean for for instance so i'm riding i i love riding twin fins you know it's like in southern california we surf kind of weak waves slopey face waves i surf out at point breaks around trestles a lot and those you know those waves don't have a lot of push so twin fins really fly there and they really generate they're just fun to ride so i was riding one i was riding one that i i love and I had plenty of rights where it felt really good. I'm t- and then I'm taking a left. And, you, you know, there's times when you can't really push it the same way as a, yeah. as a thruster, as your performance board. You kind of maybe have to nurse a little bit of that, uh, you know, 
off the bottom and in the hook a little bit. And you don't feel like maybe sometimes you get the same speed generation. So I'm like, all right, well, let's take this exact same board and just reconfigure that heel side fin cluster as a quad because I know I'm going to get grip and it's still going to feel like a twin mm-hmm. you know, tra- rolling back and forth. And so that's, it's just, this, that's the simplicity of just solving that, you know, right. just like designing a board and coming up with that. It still feels like a twin when I'm riding it, yeah. But it has more grip, right? You know, so that is a misconception, though. Everybody I talk to thinks that it's confusing the design process or adding more complexity to the mm-hmm. design process. Yet everybody I know that's had success, both shapers and surfers, explain it the way you just explain it, which it's like, no, it's the opposite of that. Actually, mm-hmm. it looks more complex, but mm-hmm. it's actually a more logical solution. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that goes back to once you understand the the anatomy of your foot and the anatomy of a wave, it is actually a more logical mm-hmm. solution. Yeah, in my in my way of designing it or coming up with the way that works for me is like I said, it's not I'm not doing any math formulas. Right. You know, no geometry involved here. It's like just taking a board out that I know that works and then modifying something as a feel thing and then just getting the instant feedback and surfing those for a few months and realizing like, oh, yeah, there's something here. Yeah. You know? It's a, it's the beauty and kind of the challenge of surfing and trying to evolve design in the industry is that so much of it is based on feel yeah. and not quantifiable data. Yeah. And I was talking to Scott earlier today, actually, and we were talking about board construction materials and about EPS or whatever versus poly. And it's like, well, no, poly just feels better. He's like, yeah, what does that mean? And I'm like, I don't know. It just feels right, you know? And he's like, well, let's talk about it. I'm like, no, I've tried to talk about it at length with shapers, with surfers on the podcast. Like, I can't, the lang- the human language fails me. Yeah. You know, I can't explain why it just feels better. I mean, you could use the word dampening. You can use sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Um, EPS is real quirky, whereas poly... But there's no other way than just to say it feels right. Yeah, you know? no, it's, it's... Yeah, it is very true. It's very true. Let's talk about construction materials that you use at Album Surf. Um, it appears that you use a little bit of everything. Yeah. What, what, are, you, what are your preferences and... Yeah, we do. We like I said, you gotta be you gotta be open minded. Okay. You know, because who knows, right? You don't know until you try it or see what works. So, we'll try anything. Um, we'll try any any core, any glassing setup. But yeah, we do everything from PU to EPS to varial foam. We'll use uh, super sap eco resin stuff on some boards. We'll use you know old school Volon cloth on log. You know anything. Really. What do you like writing? I same kind of uh, scenario where I I like what's best for the day. Okay. And sometimes what's best for the day is to try something new. Okay. You know, I've been riding the same thing for a few weeks straight, and let's try something new and see what this construction or what this core feels like as compared to something else. Or it's uh, you know the wind's really howling. I just want like a heavier board that's going to get down the face mm-hmm. or something. You know. So I think it's. Uh, my personal quiver has everything in it. So. What's the majority of the construction in your quiver, and what's the percentage of that majority? Uh, the majority is probably standard. Like, Polyurethane? Yeah. Foam? P- PUPE is probably standard. Okay. Um, but I'm, I'm more so uh, doing R&D with different shapes and different bottom contours and things like that. And so that 
construction is a is a good uh, middle ground that I know is consistent and how it feels. Yeah, and it's you know building the boards is easy to do that way. So right. How actively do you watch WSL and all that sort of stuff? Oh so yeah, I love it. I, I, I watch it all. <laughs> um, I watch every heat I can. You know, it's all you? interesting to me. Yeah, I totally love it. Who you, we've got right now? Obviously, Matty Wilco in mm-hmm. first. John John Florence, Gabe Medina, second and third. Who are you going for for this? Uh, well, I would love to see John. I I watched his uh, two of those, his last like twelve episodes, the, whatever those. Yeah, the episodes. series is called Twelve. There's been two oh, episodes. It's so good, crazy, right? It's so it's so insane. I mean, I think as far as the best surfer in the world, I mean, who can who can hang with who can surf YMA like that and surf Jaws like that and surf Rio Beach Break like that and so so. You know, no biases aside, I think he's the best surfer. So if the tour should produce the best surfer, it seems like he's he's the most all around. I I couldn't agree more, and I feel like he's also got the right team around him. Like that, the quality of those videos mm-hmm. is remarkable. Like the production quality, yeah, they're as good as his three million dollar movie that he made, but they're for free on YouTube, <laughs> and there's one a month. It's like. I can't believe how fortunate it's such a good time to be a viewer, know. you know? I know. Speaking of my kids again, too, my boys, like, they gobble that stuff up. Do they? Oh, yeah. Good. Like... That's important for Hurley to hear. You know? <laughs> like, it is. Yeah. You know? Um, and, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like, I watched those, and it revitalized my love of not only surfing and him, but the art form of filmmaking. Well, you see so many web clips that are the same air reverses over and over again. It's like, it just becomes, you don't, it just becomes white noise or fuzz where you don't even, they're not memorable, or there's just not motivated to watch them. And then you watch, you know, him do one combo where he does, like, a full, a full rotation on a hairy wave, you know, like yeah. a big overhead left and yeah. do like a big turn. It's just really like, wow. It has that ooh and ah moment. His lines that he draws, even with like a rail turn, they're just different. Mm-hmm. And his body styling and like the application of where the torque is mm-hmm. in the turn is just radical and yeah. different. You know, it's really, really remarkable. Um, what do you see? What are your thoughts on all these things that we talk about in terms of board design, maybe asymmetry and board construction and how those things translate to the tour. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's always, <laughs> it's so interesting to me. You know, it seems like this last year, especially, you know, a lot of, uh, there's been an introduction of a lot of new technology by a lot of big labels. And it always still comes down to, though, that the top 34 guys can choose whatever they want to ride, right? Yeah. And they always go back to, I don't know why that is, but they always go back to the tried and true. So that does say something, you know, for those things that you can't quantify, but it's it's interesting to me that most of those guys ride a traditional constructed, lightly glassed PU board, so. You, we've seen Kelly Slater experiment more than anybody. Yeah. And with varying degrees of success, mm-hmm. I would say this year... He's been not successful mm-hmm. writing his Slater designs with Firewire. I don't think that has anything to do with his surfing, though. I think he's like you watch like individual clips of him surfing. He's, I think he would beat his twenty-two-year-old self. Yeah, if he was in a contest today. So. Yeah, but it's interesting to me just in the broader, just in general. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's Mick Vanning or any of those guys. If you're seeing the results 
uh, from riding asymmetrical boards that they are beneficial and more, you know, mm-hmm. beneficial to your surfing. Why do we not see that on the tour? Why don't we see more asymmetry on tour? Yeah, I think it's tougher. I think those guys are in a tougher position to, you know, to venture venture off. I think, like, Shane Haran used to ride all sorts of crazy stuff, you know, and he he wasn't necessarily rewarded for that at the time. Maybe historically looking back, people have more of an admiration for him for trying and riding different things. Mm-hmm. But then it was it didn't really benefit him. And so I don't know. Maybe that's just historically. Guys are less, um, <clears throat> they're more more risk averse to go out and try something different. I suppose so. If if it was a subtle adjust uh, design adjustment that the commentators might not even notice or even talk about, mm-hmm. only the surfer and the shaper really knew. Mm-hmm. You know, in regard to fin cluster being adjusted or whatever, but it allowed the surfer to turn tighter, mm-hmm. more sensitivity. Mm-hmm. That seems like a solution. It doesn't have to be a radical departure from their current design, mm-hmm. but some subtle in between. I think too, like there's there are exceptions on with that level of surfer where guys that are really interested in uh, new ideas or different constructions or different approaches to boards. But a lot of those guys, they're focused on performance of what they're actually doing in the water. Mm-hmm. Like what maneuvers they're executing and how well they're surfing and what it looks, how it comes off and all that stuff. That seems to be, that fills much more of the forefront of their thought rather than the design of their boards. Right. A little bit. So, whereas I'm a board designer, so that's 90% of what I think about is like, you know, so they're probably just not thinking about it in that way. Yeah. They probably think about just. The, the, Impetus has to come from the designer themselves. Like their shaper needs to sit them down. Yeah. And yeah, maybe experiment with it with other surfers and then apply it to. But maybe they wouldn't be that good at surfing if they're if right. they in the weeds thinking about the, you know, the little specifics. They're thinking more on the grant, you know, how, how, how can I just go fast and do a big air and do a big turn, you know? You know where I see the largest potential for design evolution is in big wave surfing. Mm-hmm. You know, like. Guys paddling into waves and going straight down the line, straight to the bottom some and sometimes down the line, is boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, I would like to see some more radical surfing in bigger waves. And I think that the reason why we don't see that is because surfboard design limits mm-hmm. what they can do. You have yeah. this catch-22 where you need a lot of foam to paddle into these giant waves, but a lot of foam prevents you from turning a board. So what what are your thoughts on that, and where do you see potential? Well, they also have the hard thing of maybe only getting three or four swells in a year, in a given year. True. To really go out, and it's like there's not much experimentation time when you, like when you get two days to make it happen that month, and that's your job, that's your gig as a big wave surfer, to go out and get shots or go chart. You know, that's what you've been training for for months. Right. And so it's tough to say, okay, let's play around with all this different equipment and different fin setups. and When your life is at risk, by the way. Yeah. And, you know, it, I think probably, you know, uh, toe surfing is kind of kooky a little bit. Yeah. You know, but as far as, like, progression of actual big wave riding, there was probably more progressive uh, turns and approaches 
with those kinds of boards, but it's it's kind of it is kind of it's kind of cheating and it's not as respectable as mm-hmm. paddling in with your bare hands. And so there's probably some sort of middle ground as far as you know how that progresses. But it's amazing how much those guys progress and charge with those with all those variables that come into play with the few swells that they get. Right. With the you know, what are some design elements that you think would expedite that learning curve? Um, for a big wave gun, well, I mean, asymmetry for sure. Why not, right? Think so? Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I, I think there's definitely some viable aspects of those fin setups that would allow for different lines or speed generation. You know, mm-hmm. and allowing. Um, I made a eight seven like for the boardroom show this last year. This this past one, it was celebration of guns and big wave surfing. And so, the gun I made was an eight seven, and it was an asymmetrical gun. And you know, it's eight seven is considered small, but sure. wide point and foam was kind of placed in a different way. And okay. So, fin set up. So something like an eight seven that maybe paddles more like a nine six and yeah. can fit in little tighter spots. And, yeah, I mean, Albie Layer rides smaller boards at Jaws, mm-hmm. and, but he sits on a different part of the wave. He sits mm-hmm. on kind of the inside bowl and tries to get barreled, and that's why he's able to ride smaller boards. Mm-hmm. Um, that board, and, and I mean, John John, as an example of somebody who rides really small boards at Pipeline when it's yeah. maxed out, and he's still yeah. riding a short board. Um, wh- but I think he's actually utilizing it the same way Albie is, where he sits and takes off later than everybody else. He just, so he needs smaller length to kind of get in that curve of the wave that's hollow. Um, The board that you made for the boardroom show, was it ever surfed? Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the boardroom show was in May. Right. So kind of post-El Nino season. Yeah. And so uh, Mike Townsend, the guy who's been surfing it, he's been surfing it a bunch to get the feel for it so that when the waves are good this winter okay. he's got it locked in but he's had some you know double overhead days on it nothing nothing that it's made for which is you know okay 18 to 20 foot faces or something right. like that so yeah I'm going to go back to construction real quick because I thought of a question um, I can tell the difference when I ride EPS versus poly obviously different foam types mm-hmm I don't know that I could tell the difference between different resin types. You talked about using like a bio-based mm-hmm. uh, epoxy on some of the stuff. Can you? Yeah, I do. We do a lot of uh, PU core glass epoxy boards. Okay. And they go really good. They, uh, the- and I have some too. And I agree they go good. But can you tell the difference between epoxy resin versus polyester resin? Yeah, it's a little... Um- it's a nuanced thing because the the core for me is the overriding factor right. in how like a board's feel. You know, I mean, glassing obviously affects the weight and flex characteristics a lot. But yeah, you can feel like in a little bit of uh, how it interacts with the surface of the water. Okay. A little bit, you can tell in how a board maybe loads or flexes through a turn a little bit. But it's more of a nuanced thing. It's not like a well, this board is totally different, you know, than something of the same shape glass. Okay. In regard to the conversation where I was saying, I feel like, um, I just feel like polyurethane construction is better for me. Mm -hmm. It feels more familiar. It's what I'm used to. Where does the epoxy resin, does that 
feel preferable to polyurethane or polyester resin? Yeah, I mean, it can take more of a punch okay. without fracturing, you know? Yeah. Like, epoxy is, like, more glue-like than it is resin-like, almost. You know what okay. I mean? And so, you know, like, if you've ever if you've ever fixed a board that was epoxy, sanding epoxy is different than sanding polyester. Okay. You know? So it's... More gummy? Yeah. So, so that's going to affect the way that it feels and that its durability, you know? Got it. But it's more of a nuanced thing. Okay. Interesting. Um, I want to kind of wrap up the conversation talking about the aesthetics of album surf, which obviously you've got the agency, which what you guys do is branding. Mm -hmm. I feel like you've done a great job with branding for album surf. Mm -hmm. Um, It's always on target, like, Mm -hmm. and your content strategy for Instagram and all that stuff. It's just always, always beautiful looking on target the messaging's always i don't know it's just good it's beautiful to look at i always like seeing the posts mm-hmm. can you talk about how you've grown that how you've used social media to build the brand and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff well like i was saying i i think people, surfers should be open-minded and surfers tend to be closed-minded and so i think as far as like colors and the way a board looks there shouldn't be to me. I'm like, oh, let's try anything. Let's mm-hmm. just make a blackboard. Let's make. I like, I like being able the freedom of expression in that way, and so making something that's unique and that's interesting. That's that's part of the fun of it, you know. And so, I, I see great opportunities among in the surf world for beautiful design, aesthetically. You know, I think why not? You know, surfing such a beautiful medium, so. I love adding that aspect to it. Uh, what was the other? What was the other? I forgot. Just, I oh, think that you've media. leveraged social oh, yeah, media yeah. really well. Yeah, you know? well, I think it's such a great uh, platform. Yeah. To show that, you know, I mean, uh, not every type of business uh, works with something like Instagram, where it's right. so Im- it's image based and it's interesting in that way. But I think it just presents itself as a great way to stoke people out that's what that's always been our approach is like just making people stoked about surfing and surfboards Mm -hmm. and so why not use that platform to just take it and run with it we i sometimes there's always like the fine line of you know i don't want to overload people's instagram yeah with boards every day but we i like to at least put a put a few out there every day that are yeah you know it, it does stoke me out. Like, you're right. You're achieving your goal there. I look at it and I get stoked. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your board production like at this point? Yeah, so we still do a majority of what we create are custom boards oh, okay. for one-off customers. Um, but, yeah, we're pretty – we're smaller, obviously, than a lot of the bigger labels. But we probably do, you know, 1,200 to 1,500 boards a year or something like that. Which is a lot. Yeah. It is a lot. And especially if they're mostly custom. Yeah. So are the boards available through retail or just direct? Yeah, we have a few uh, retail partners all over the country and a little bit around the world, like in Asia and some other different places. Uh, Direct is is really easy. Nowadays in the world we live in, it's it's really easy for someone to email us directly or call us up. So we do that. We do plenty of that, too. Yeah. And... um, what about, I mean, you're based in San Clemente, obviously. Yep, so we have a showroom here in San Clemente where it's open to the public. 
six days a week mm-hmm. and lots of people like to come and stop in and see the boards it's a great place to come and feel them and see them in person yeah. people some people have been seeing boards on social media for two years and then they actually get to come and see one in person it's nice to feel it as well and yeah. so and then uh, yeah website social media channels so people can come by and grab board. What about people who don't live in Southern California? Is it relatively easy to ship boards, and how do you get yeah stuff to people? And- yeah, we send, as you can see here, there's boxes of oh, boards yeah. in our front room. So we ship boards out every week Yeah, all over the place. Cool. So uh, a lot of the airlines can do uh, like air cargo shipments, yep. which is kind of nice. So getting boards to Europe, getting boards to Australia, getting boards to Hawaii, getting boards to uh, faraway places. Asia is relatively easy nowadays. Okay. And it's not doesn't break the bank like it maybe would have a few years ago. Yeah. So. Awesome. Uh, you know, the final question for everybody I talked to is what was the last board you rode? I have a feeling maybe we already discussed yes, it. <laughs> we did. It was okay. that 600 right there. With so, no fins. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, you've talk, you mentioned when we were talking about that board, guys who do it well, you know, like Derek Hine or whatever. I feel like those guys, though, they're riding boards that have really deep channels. Even mm-hmm. though they might not have fins, they tend to be designed for finless surfing and, and have deep channels or something that gives them drive and bite, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, yeah, the same. That one has, like, uh, sharp rails. Okay. You know? I mean, like, a rail with a release point like that normally causes release. You know? Yeah. It's a place for the water to shear off of, but it also kind of gives you... You feel like you can push it a little bit more. Okay. And it will kind of respond to what you're trying to do a little bit. Yeah. So... But it allows so, you to break it free, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Awesome. Is there anything else you want to say before we... Yeah. yeah. Thanks for coming by. Absolutely. Love the podcast. Thanks, man. surfsplendorpodcast.com is our website. You could link over to Matt's website, Album Surf, from our site. Well, I, we also have photos of uh, some of the boards that we discussed in this show. All sorts of stuff. And you can leave a comment as well on today's episode about Matt. Give us feedback. Chime in. Let us know if you've ridden one of Matt's boards, what you think, what your thoughts on asymmetry are, all that sort of stuff. We'll also make sure to post those things on our social media feeds, at Surf Splendor, and then on Facebook as well, facebook.com forward slash Surf Splendor. Great way to share the show with friends on Facebook. Just copy the URL from this episode, post it on a friend's wall. Hopefully other people see it. That helps our show to grow, which, as I said at the beginning of the show, you want growth. You want this thing to grow. You will get more episodes. You will get greater guests all the way until we track down Kelly Slater himself and get him on here as a guest. That is the ultimate goal. I'll just hang it up at that point. Just give up, die happily, end goal. A simple man, you know, attainable goals. At any rate, hope that you enjoyed the show. We'll be back next week with an episode of Surf News chiming in. Don't forget, though, that the Billabong Tahiti Pro is starting, and so if you want to join our fantasy team, Uh, You could do that on fantasysurfer.com. Go to the clubhouse, search Surf Splendor. It's free to join. There's 400 members in there. It's super fun to compete against other people. And then, of course, we um, 
if you want to on a want to wager on that thing, we also do allow that as well. Details for how to do that are on surfsplendorpodcast.com. Click on the Fantasy Surfer tab. Hope that you have a wonderful week. Until you hear from me next week around this time on a Tuesday, this is David Scales for Surf Splendor reminding you, do not squander your youth and your vitality. Make sure you get out in the ocean, catch a couple waves, and shred on, my fair listeners. Shred on. Thank you.